0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now.
1: You're listening to Griefcast with me, Carrie Lloyd. How do we grieve for someone? How does it change and evolve as we get older? My dad died when I was 15 and it took me many, many years to be able to express what I had gone through. So I decided to create Griefcast, a chance to talk, share and laugh about the weirdness of grief and death. But with comedians, so it's not that depressing, I promise. Each time I talk to a different comedian about their own personal experience of grief, as we remember someone that they have lost along the way. Whether it was a long time ago or you've just joined the club,
2: this is a chance to talk about the peculiar human process of death. Welcome to GriefCast. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and
1: I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you
2: Hey Griefsters, hope you're having an okay week. Um, I'm having to record this under a duvet while in the next room my daughter watches Noughts. So if you can hear the strains of the Vegimals singing or indeed Peso rescuing someone or Captain Barnacles, taking one to the hq i can only apologize that is a lot of my life at the moment um thank you so much for joining us i really appreciate it if you do enjoy the show and um, please do rate and review and subscribe it really does help other people find the show and is genuinely appreciated this week I'm talking to writer and academic Sophie Ratcliffe, or I should say Dr. Sophie Ratcliffe, for which she is an English professor at Oxford University, but she's also an author. And she's author of the very, very brilliant The Lost Properties of Love, which you'll hear me banging on about in a minute, um, but I absolutely loved it. I think she's an incredible writer. It's not about grief entirely. It covers... Love, marriages, affairs, Anna Karenina, but I would recommend it very much if you lost a parent at a young age, because the way Sophie writes about that I found really touching and yeah, just really hit home a lot. Sophie came in to talk to me about her dad, who died when she was 13.
1: Welcome to Griefcast. I'm here today with academic and writer Sophie Ratcliffe. Hello. Hello. Sophie is the author of The Lost Properties of Love, which is an incredible book. I loved it. I'm slightly, I'm trying, I'm like looking at it embarrassed because I loved it so much. I don't want to directly stare at you as I say, I loved your book. <laughs> that's out now in hardback. I, I, I don't even know what to be. The test of a book for me, Sophie, is how many pages I folded over the uh-huh. things I liked. And there's a
0: lot. It's looking reassuringly it's quite dogged. It's reassuringly
1: dogged. Yeah. And reassuringly, you know, when you're reading something, you're like, oh, that's good. I'm going to, oh, that's good as well. <laughs> And um, it was funny because when you sent it to me, it was sort of under the caveat of like, oh, it's not quite about grief. Mm. Um, but it sort of is, even though I would say, unlike some of the books I get sent, it's not the direct, I guess the A storyline isn't like grief as such. But it's about loss,
0: isn't it? Yeah, I think it's a, it's about love, death, trains and me. Yeah. And the central line really is, is it's a book about how childhood bereavement shapes a subsequent life. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's what... It turned out to be. It might not have been the book ages ago. I thought I was going to write, <laughs> um, because I think I was always. I've always, in some ways, tried to avoid talking or writing about my father's death. And I don't want to. I always thought I don't want to bore anyone with it. Yeah, I who who yeah. will want to hear?
1: I think that's kind of interesting because I think that's one of the reasons I liked it. It's because it's so hidden within the text, and then keeps. Bubbling up, (laughs) Mm. Um, in the way that I think I very much relate to with childhood bereavement. So, I mean, you've said so. Who are we essentially remembering today? Because we're not. Don't worry, it's not. You haven't tuned
0: into Open Book, (laughs) sadly. So I'd love to do it. Um, We're remembering my father, Andrew Ratcliffe, who died in 1988 when I was 13 years old. Wow. It's is weird, isn't it, the way you feel connections? Like, because my dad died in 1998.
1: Whoa! I was like, oh my god, this is ten years before. And also, we're both North London gals. Yeah. So there was a hardcore mentioning of Brent Cross, which yeah. I I really related to <laughs> because if you <laughs> Brent Cross is a shopping centre in North London, and um, if you don't live in North London, you won't you won't have been there. But if you go up in North London, it's the highlight of your weekend is a trip to Brent Cross, and I loved how much it popped up. <laughs>
0: I wasn't expecting to write about Broken Cross, but then I also yeah. realised how central it was to, yeah. because I mean, we both lost our fathers as teenagers, yeah, and yeah. but but it is that that mecca where where, where things happen, and um, I mean, it was where it was where my dad ended up taking me and ended up kind of being sick, and yeah. he Resil- was kind of quite terminally ill. But I just, but it's just it was such a it was a place of sort of dazzle and Dorothy Perkins, C N A,
1: and I think you capture a time when. We didn't have online shopping. And so, like, somewhere like Brent Cross (laughs) was was really, like, a real futuristic, cool place to be. You know, like, they had all the shops in one place and it was covered. Like, the idea of a shopping centre now, I think, sounds like, you know, someone in their 60s trying to explain like rationing or something <laughs> it sounds like really that was what you were dealing with
0: but your brain cross might be slightly different to my brain cross because you're, you're about a decade older than <laughs> it. I, I, I just it was it was just Benetton I just remember uh, all those folded yeah, jumpers
2: yeah
0: I mean I mean glamorous in like not a glamorous way but I mean yeah. when
1: you're of like 13 you're like I went to Brent Cross and I bought some Levi jeans. Oh, go! I'm a gorilla. You got up. to buy Levi jeans. I bought some. I Levi just got jeans. to. I just got to look. At oh, Levi I did. Je- I bought. I saved up and bought some Levi jeans from Fenix. Fenwicks. Fen- yeah,
0: yeah. With the the, the, the great perfume lady who Yeah. Spray.
1: The highlight of um, one trip was that me and my brother in the John Lewis restaurant, mm. having our pa- regular pancakes with whipped cream, which was the regular thing that we had. I saw Simon Mayo the radio DJ in the restaurant, and we couldn't believe someone we'd seen on television was in Brent Ross. <laughs> That's that, super cool. That was very cool. Um, anyway, I've gone right off topic. Um, so what did um, Andrew die of? What did your dad die of?
0: He died of malignant melanoma, so oh, okay. skin, skin cancer, cancer, which he was diagnosed with when I was three years old. Wow. Um, and the doctors, according to my mum, told told her that he was going to die within the year and they said you mustn't tell him what um that's how that's how terminal illness was handled because because it would and so my father had this operation he his moles had been bleeding on and off for a while and being a sort of get on with it kind of person Mm. and there wasn't much publicity about skin cancer in those those days he um and by the time he'd gone to the doctor it had metastasized. Wow. Um but they operated, but they said there was he wasn't going to live and but Mum mustn't tell him. And um after about two weeks she just realised that she could not tell him. He was he was, yeah. he was he was he was so delighted that he thought he'd been cured. He was oh about to give masses amount of money we didn't have <gasps> to the Royal Marsden Hospital to say, thank you. <laughs> he said I'm gonna give them the house, they've saved my life and Mum had to um oh my God. tell him. Um but as it was, he lived for 10 years, wow. but always with the knowledge.
1: That he was dying. That
0: he was dying. That's so... Or that he was in kind of on-off remission. Yeah. Um, I still find, I know that did happen, and I've had other guests
1: say that, like, somebody wasn't told. I think yours is the latest. As in, as in up to, nine, you know, I've had guests from the 60s or 70s saying, oh, the, the person wasn't told. So, like, not to be told, not told in 1988 it must be like no, he but, but he died in 1988
0: so he of was course, not told, he was diagnosed in he, 78 so yeah. he was not told in 1978 oh, of course. yes it was inconceivable but if you think back this is, the, yeah. this is the 70s so it's about the 80s they decided to start
1: telling yeah. people yeah. <laughs> that they might be dying but your poor mum because imagine like imagine what she would have how she would have felt with him being like oh everything's fine now yes how could she have ever faked that what wife could ever have been like oh yes darling okay like no, it was supposed to
0: be Unimaginably
1: yeah, difficult. Yeah,
0: God, Two <laughs> little children.
1: So you, you, she had two kids. Your mom had two kids at that point. At that point, yes. And then you,
0: you're, they went on to have more children. One more. So my sister was born um, in nineteen eighty-seven, the year before my father died.
1: Wow. So they had a child when he was still
0: in treatment, again, or had he stopped treatment? stopped treatment. Yeah. God, that's incredible, isn't it? Yeah. And I think at the time, maybe people were thinking, why, why would people do that? But um, you can quite understand why. why yeah, people yeah, might. I can yeah. understand why you yeah. want to create life. Yeah. Why you still here? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you think. Well, um, I'm still here. They didn't think I was going to be here. And um, yeah, I think my the presence of my sister gave my father a huge amount of joy. Oh, that's so nice. And he got yeah. to
1: see her being born. Yeah,
2: yeah.
0: Um, so when he was
1: diagnosed, you were three. So mm. I guess no one told you. No. Do you? What do you remember? Like do you remember I know in the book you talk about like you said to him, growing up in brain Cross, obviously he was when he was very mm. sick, but do you remember much before that that
0: he was ill or um yeah, it was just I suppose it was my normal, yeah, um, I remember actually, it's interesting how many early memories surrounded the illness things I remember from my early childhood, maybe some people remember people often remember early birthday parties yeah. or. Um, significant holidays but messed up in that in my mind I do remember being on holiday in France and blood which I think might have been something wow. to do that I remember his the first operation I remember how strange because they had to do skin grafts over the mole so I remember that um, and there must have been a lot of coming and going yeah. and absence and parents not being there and I think now children realise a lot I remember just basically from early childhood being very, very scared of burglars. Oh, yes, you write about um, it in the book. I really love this. Um, and so, and I didn't sleep a lot of the time. I just wouldn't go to bed. Mm. So I, had, I used to refuse to go to bed. I mean, in a, such a fierce refusal, people might say, well, I did not know, parents just send me. But I would fiercely refuse in absolute way because I was so terrified. And then when I was, when my parents went to bed, I used to go and get into their bed and then they refused it. So then I used to sit outside the door or on the landing to, to fit so that the burglars wouldn't get to me. So a lot of memories of trying because I wasn't, I don't know, here's here's my cause effect. Yeah, I have a feeling yeah. that because I wasn't told, and I'm not, this is not a sense of um, it should have been done differently. Yeah, yeah. How would you explain that? But oh, I just, I knew, there yeah. was. Um, I just got some something my child's have got. A sense, sense of that. Something's anxiety, wrong. Yeah. something
1: is not okay and my family's a threat. Yeah. Because I guess that's what everyone's acting like. Your family's a threat and you're sensitive enough to pick up like, oh, we're in danger. Yeah. But I don't know why. And they say that, I mean, that's why they suggest telling kids now, isn't it? Because all the studies point out now that kids will invent a reason. <laughs> they yeah. won't just go, oh, I don't know, so I'm not going to think about it. They'll be like, oh, I guess it's because we're deeply a threat of being burgled. <laughs> so- yes,
0: because that's 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 a narrative you've read about yeah. in, a, in a Richard Scarry book, that there's burglars that will come yeah, yeah. in. Yeah. No, I've got a friend who's um, just got a couple of papers out about talking, talking to children about Kind of how to, how to talk and that advising health practitioners into when they're talking to people about terminal illness would you like support in telling your children which I think is really yeah really great
1: yeah amazing because I think mm. it's it's difficult I guess for your it must have been difficult for your parents as well because as you said you're three when it begins so you know, that's a whole. That's a huge difference in thirteen when he dies. That's mm. a, a person has changed yeah. significantly in that process. <clears throat> so your understanding of it must have grown as you grew. So as you got nearer thirteen, were you much more like, "Oh, my dad is not well."
0: It's funny actually because physically, I think he might have gone in for one more operation, but other than that, um, one or two and lots of checkups, but. Really, I was not, I both knew he was sick and didn't know. Yeah. I just, and I, I, I can't quite wrap my head around how that can be yeah. possible. And until he actually, I asked a question and he told me the answer. What uh, did you say? I was sitting in the back of, he used to take me to school by train, but intriguingly, he bought an old, banger and started driving me to school I wonder whether he was that maybe he wasn't so well yeah, yeah. um and he's driving me to school and I was in the back of the car cars are really good for conversation difficult oh, conversations have to directly look yeah. at someone yeah and um I said what do you what, what he was talking about work his job and I said what so what exactly do you do and he was telling me a bit more about it and I said do you like it and he said no and I said what would you like to do? He said, I'd like to be a travel writer. I'd like to go and travel um, places and write about them. And would really enjoy doing that. I said, well, why don't you do that? And he said, well, because I have an illness called cancer and I'm going to die. Um, And I need to, I think he said, well, he certainly made, he gave gave me to understand that he was going to die and he said, and um, the job that I do has something called insurance and it means that you and your brother and mummy will be looked after. And I just remember, kind of must have, must have remembered that because I just felt completely like that's, that's extraordinary that you're mm. not doing what you want to do.
1: That's incredible that he spoke to you with that clarity. I think that's a real testament to like, him as a person
0: that he, that he didn't sugarcoat that. No, he never did actually. I remember I remember he was, it's, it's odd, but he he wouldn't, but at the same time, he never after that ever had a conversation with me about what is your life going to be like? Wow. So that was it. But he yeah. was very, very honest. I remember her kind of asking whether he could explain certain things about sort of what do two men do in bed together if, <laughs> if Gareth and Simon are friends. And he, he said, if you could pop upstairs, I'll have a think about that, and you come down. He said, "Well, this is this is what I understand." So he's very very honest <laughs> yeah, about yeah. about things. He was quite interested in in technicalities, and so it was interesting. This conversation was very much X, Y, Z. Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, this is why I'm doing this. Yeah. So that you'll be okay. But that's interesting because I think you know, especially in those days, I think some people would have changed the subject or or just said, "Well, you know."
2: Daddy will go away and all of that,
1: but to be like, yeah, I'm doing this so that you guys can be okay. That's extraordinary. And what is that hard for you? Did you? And I'm only not suggesting you should, of course. Mm. Did you, as a child, feel guilty about that, or did you just think, oh, that's nice? (laughs)
0: Um, No, I don't. I don't think I felt guilty because. I could see that he was talking about the whole family, so I yeah. wasn't going, yeah. like, I just, felt really, just I felt really sad for him. Yeah. Um, and I, th- I also think it provided one of the sort of legacies of early loss, mm. which was, I thought, I thought that really sucks, that's yeah. awful. Um, and I thought, I'm going to make sure kind of that I do what I want with my life yeah. not not just to, to, to you've given me that I better I better make a, a fair hash of it
1: yeah and then funny that you've ended up being a writer do you think there was like it's not obviously who knows why things happen and yeah. all the reasons but yeah the fact that you've end up making your <laughs> life doing what he in a way wanted to do um
0: I think it's interesting, I, I very much decided as soon as I kind of, I started to become aware, I must have been aware, as I was aware that he was ill um, I decided I was going to be a doctor and I was going to find the cure for cancer Oh uh,
1: yeah, that's very common isn't it yeah. with kids in cancer or, or kids in illness of like, yeah. right, okay, and and often I get emails from people being like, I'm a doctor
0: because, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> literally I followed it right through. <laughs> and then, and so I, I was, it was a total sort of salvation, I can't cure him but mm. I'm going to make, but I, I read a perm at school when I after he died and it sort of helped in a way that other things didn't and I think it was quite a hedonistic decision in that sense of the lesson I got from that conversation was if you can if pleasure is there seize it Mm. because there may be a time when you have to be very responsible and you can't and so I think yeah I think my decision to follow a life of words and books and writing was came from Take the risk and seize it and do it yeah you know. yeah
1: that's a really um
0: it's very emotionally mature
1: <laughs> <laughs> reaction to be like because some would say like there's that hedonistic thing of like oh I've been close to death so now I'm taking stupid risks I know you write about this in the book as well but it, I think the way you're putting it of like no have pleasure now because it might still happen so you still have that element of death anxiety of like oh it might still happen that's why I'm I have to make my pleasure now, yeah. whereas I think sometimes the reaction of death anxiety can be like oh it's happening so, batten down the hatches don't get too crazy guys like, because it's, it's too scary
0: Is it? I'm trying to think <laughs> I uh, just think about different people, I admire yeah.
1: version of it but I just think I think there's a very, like, I think it's quite a wise and healthy attitude to be like well I'm going to seize pleasure now because mm. responsibility might happen, so you're not someone who's like I'm just going to do what I want because I'll just die tomorrow. It's yeah. not
0: that attitude. It's quite practical. I certainly, I certainly as a teenager, I had, I'm going to do what I want right, because yeah. I might die tomorrow. Oh, okay. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But, um, <laughs> but, but the, the sort of the, yeah, the the one that has grown into it is, <laughs> yeah. is, is certainly, and, but I always, I know that I'm always pushing back or fighting against a complete sort of just like the risk taking mm. hedonism, which is sort of, if, if, if a self forms quite, early, which I sort yeah. of think a lot of a lot of our sort of psychic stuff is unfortunately unfortunately fixed by what's happened. I if I have a pathway, it is to go, Oh right, there's a risk, let's let's take it But also I do have I much less so now, but I had quite quite a lot of hypochondria. I was very worried uh, well. Oh yeah, and, yeah. Um, I still have that. Do you? Yeah,
1: God, I still have to really talk myself down. Like <laughs> that that, that lump is yeah. this, that feeling is this. Like I have to, you know, I'm on the websites checking the symptoms. Oh, you shouldn't go on the websites, Carrie. No, I go, oh. I'm very good. I go on the specific cancer websites. So I'm very careful just to see, so what are the symptoms of bowel cancer? Just uh-huh. so I know. And then I think that doesn't sound like what you have. It sounds like you're tired. You're just yeah. tired. And then I'm like, okay. So I have it under control, I think. Yeah. But yeah, I definitely have... Hypochondria of
0: yeah, a certain degree. It's, it's interesting, I think. I was relieved to find I'm married to a doctor. Oh, so, um, nice. That, that doctors, too, not particularly my husband, but having talked to quite a lot of doctors sort of over the dinner table uh, when they're relaxed, they too. Can, can worry about can these things. Worry, can be quite a hypochondriac. So, and that that also relieved me that it's not sort of. Yeah, that yeah. It's not quite. It's, it's it's normal. I mean, we're on scale. Yeah, scales. It's quite, yeah it's So I, I thought I kind of kind of had multiple hypochondria. I'm now kind of thinking I'm the worst, most extreme hypochondriac <laughs> in the world. It's just it's normal. Yeah,
1: yeah. I think it's just normal. I'm sure. Yeah. Cave people must have been like, oh, <laughs> my, my toe feels funny. Oh. oh, that would
0: be a lovely sketch.
1: Yeah. Do I have that toe thing that Ugg died of last week because he stuffed his toe <laughs> and he fell off? I don't over? know what the
0: cave equivalent of yeah, calling one. Yeah. On one and being on hold for ages
1: <laughs> just walking for a long time to your friend who is good at herbs probably yeah, and then the a really long
0: queue and long she goes queue. through a long checklist
1: <laughs> um so when he died were you i mean you talk about this in the book but he went into a hospice in yeah. north london yeah. so were you guys with him at the moment or no
0: he yeah so he went he was he was in the royal free in london uh for a bit i
1: love your description of like it meant you you were able to go to Hampstead and Hampstead had a body shop. <laughs> I just remember stuff like cuz you're still a teenager and yeah. you're just like oh that's good I can go there
0: like I've got all my diaries <laughs> and it's just quite alarming that so it's page after page of kind of accounts of the disco yeah. that I might get to go to and I'm going to wear the houndstooth mini skirt that I got a CNA and then kind of half a sentence about my dad. Yeah. Um but But then it would be in, it would be really weird if you
1: found a thirteen-year-old's diaries that were like pages and pages of what does it mean when my if my dad is sick how am I going to deal with it yeah. because one you haven't crossed that border yet so you mm. don't know you have no concept of what's happening yes. to you so it would be strange not to be filled with I actually think that's testament to just the norm normality of it yeah. that it's filled with discos and CNA and body
0: shop it's like yeah that's all that's all it's in your head at thirteen really yeah and writing it out and the determination because there's a frustration for Teenagers who are dealing in in caring roles, mm. um, and if you are imminently bereaved or bereaved, you are also in a caring role, yeah. um, trying to sort of look after those around you. Um, there is a frustration, like I don't want to miss out. I still want, I still want yeah. to, kind of desperate for that first kiss, which kind of never <laughs> seems to happen. Standing there, um, yeah. So he was in the hospital, and then they moved him to a really lovely hospice, mm. um, but it was, it was still just awful mm-hmm. and dying of cancer really really stinks mm. it's messy undignified i mean i'm sorry if anyone listening kind of feels that that's not their experience but yeah, well, at yeah. least my this was my this was my experience of um although they, they made it as good as it yeah could be i mean it is interesting that there were there, at that age there was no support for children well
1: I can't Im- I mean it was barely any in 1988. so I can imagine in 1988 there, yeah. was, there was not much going no. on at all I mean it's so different now it's so I mean people still struggle to get access but there's literally charities just to help children yeah. which like blew it's, it's, my they're mind they're wonderful that yeah. there is now.
0: so it was difficult because my sister was one yeah and mum was going to and fro and there, I actually remember it got it was I, I remember a kind of didn't want to go anymore Mm
1: -hmm. yeah
0: and i don't know whether i didn't want to go because i wanted to stay and i don't know rearrange my body shop (laughs) things in my bedroom or kind of do a doodle about how much i fancied tom griggs or what but Mm. i didn't seem to i remember my mother saying you need to come and see your father Mm. today because if you don't you may regret it and i remember then being with him, and he because the cancer had spread to his brain, he wasn't oh, yeah, lucid, yeah. um and most of the hair had gone from his mm. head. And what the kind of the progression of melanoma on is quite sort of vivid, you might mm. say, baroque almost. Actually, mm. uh, he had sort of fantasies that there was uh, kind of some sort of detective plot. Um, and someone called Dr. Tutankhamun who was coming, and so it was. Always, I remember, kind of, actually, our family were able to discuss that this was quite funny, yeah. or he would have found it quite funny. And I was, des- I was actually desperate all the time when he was from. He was when he was nursed at home. He was in bed on the ground floor, for him to say, "I love you" and mm. goodbye, but he didn't.
1: God, it's so weird, it's so weird, because that's what happened to me. I don't know. If I've said this in the show, so. We were going to the hospice. Well, we weren't. I always say hospice, it was a hospital. He was at a cancer hospital. He was too sick to be moved. And it became to me, it probably was only about five days, but in my head felt like a routine. And I thought, you know what? I've been Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. I don't want to go today. It's Friday. I want a day off. And I said to my mum, I'm not going today. And she said, you have to. And I was like, why why? Why can't I have to mm. sit here and watch telly yeah. and just not have to deal but with the it? The seafags? Yeah, yeah. You know, I love the seafags. <laughs> they made me laugh about the seafags. C- um and um I remember her saying, like, sitting in the living room being like, You kind of have to go today. Yeah. And me still kind of not, not getting quite it. getting it, but being like, Okay, well I'm not gonna cause a fuss because dad's really ill, so I'm not gonna like kick off and be like, I'm not fucking going. But she's been a bit weird. Like just and but how how can you? How can you? Just like you're too young to understand what someone's trying to tell you. They're trying to tell you they're dying, but you don't know what that means.
0: I don't, I can't remember. It sounds like I can't remember whether it was just I was bored. Yeah, yeah. Or whether something in me thought this is too much, which would be fair. Yeah, yeah. In both our cases, that this is actually too much yeah. for me. I don't. I remember thinking I just wanted a day off, but mm-hmm. I didn't
1: think... Like now, I can put into words like, oh, I was tired or I was emotional. But at the time, if you'd asked me, I'd be like, I just want a day off. Yeah. That's all I'm felt because it was like what I meant was like this is relentless and he's looks awful and I'm and everyone's yeah it's it's boring boring. and everyone's dying around him and it's hot it's sort of horrible as well you know your instinct as a child especially is like well this is not a nice place (laughs) like even though same the hospital was lovely Mm. and he had his own room and there was a little garden and you know it was but it was attached to a sort of decaying victorian hospital so you know, memories of going to the cafe with my brother were just like I and mean, eating disgusting food, and yeah, you know, it's just like it's not brain cross. <laughs> it's not like oh, I'm having fun and hanging out with my friends. And but they, they,
0: maybe the sense of unfairness is is kicking. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So then he was, so he was in the hospice. Yeah, and so I, yeah, I did, I did go in, and for some reason, maybe mum needed to go and take my sister for a walk or something, but I was left alone with him, and I remember feeding him a tiny bit of ice cream Mm. and there was those little pink sponges on sticks yes oh my god
1: because they dry their lips and I gave
0: him that and I fed him some ice cream and I said I love you and then the next day the next morning I probably you know it's possible I've missed a day here but in my memory um that well that was the last time I saw him Mm. alive and then then I was asleep and and then, then, then the phone rang and I I woke to the phone ringing and hearing my mother cry oh god <sighs> it's so hard isn't it it's it's funny because I was on my way here I thought I don't I I could talk about grief, but I don't feel <laughs> anything it's like, I'm fine I, yeah. I just thought oh, this is going to be a completely an, a, a conversation lacking in emotion <laughs> completely arid yeah. uh, sort of I've rehearsed this story too many times yeah, for it to have yeah. any I mean uh, but it's actually yeah It's it still feels mm. very very raw and that's 19 so where are we 2019 yeah, so that's 31 yeah. years ago and that's that's I know. But that's bizarre.
1: It's really bizarre. I, I sometimes wonder if it, if it is something to do with losing a parent young. Like, obviously, I only have my experience. So I yeah. don't know. Like, if you if you lost your parent at, like, you know, 35, and then 30 years on. You're 65. Perhaps you don't feel the same rawness. I don't know. Email me in and tell me, as mm. you, I'm sure your people will. But I feel like you. I There's, you know, I can sometimes be like, yeah, I'm fine to talk about it. And then... You're describing something and suddenly you're like, oh, the pain is there. But Mm -hmm. I I can't help but wonder if it comes from not processing something properly at the time because you don't understand it. So it's always a little bit raw because the memory is always a little bit of like, I don't really know what's happening. All I know is I'm very, very sad. Whereas I guess when you're 35, you're like, my father has died. I'm very sad. Life has ended. When you're 13 and 15, you're like, I just feel sad and I can't really put into words what, like, quite was happening to me.
0: I don't know. I think nothing is comparable. Yeah. And I certainly know watching um, my husband, whose father died at 80, or I'm going to get the age wrong, but, uh, and his mother uh, earlier, and that the grief is raw mm. and real. There may be more of an opportunity for adult processing i can't mm. speak for it because i've no, not experienced yeah. that but i totally I do.
1: agree i think it's it's you it can't compare but i wonder sometimes like do you know what i mean like if you're older then when it's 30 years on you're in your 60s and that's yeah. a different but i think for us because it's you're always frozen in a time when you yes. didn't have the words for something yes
0: didn't have the words didn't have any and you're trying to juggle or deal with so many other Things And I think it was just a very long process of complete denial. I was told that I was a grown-up now. Oh, fun. And, uh, uh, <laughs> by by the, um, the au pair who was looking after helping to look after my sister. And she meant it. Kind of, she said, you must be brave. You must be a grown-up oh, now. Oh, God. And the, I think it's a lot dumb. of, actually, a lot of people might have said that to me yeah. at the time. And that, that, that freezing from processing, mm. which is, I feel you experienced too. Yeah, yeah. And not wanting to bore anyone. And, and other people, one's peers, obviously not have not, no... Just in a different party. They're in they, a different room of the party, aren't they? Yeah, <laughs> and they, they, they're they not in any way able no. to... a A fellow 13-year-old car isn't that equipped. I mean, my best mate was amazing. Mm. But they don't have the vocabulary.
1: Yeah, and, and that's the thing. You don't have the vocabulary. They don't have the vocabulary. Yeah. And so you reach this point of, like you said, where you don't... Well, I I didn't really talk about it. I might say oh yeah, he's died, and I'm, oh yeah, it's sad. But I would often parrot phrases, which I thought sounded good. Like What did well, you say? I would say things like, it was really good, it was really fast. Like, he would have really hated to have a long illness. Oh,
0: oh, that's... That's good, doesn't it? Sounds <laughs> smooth, good, smooth, that's smooth. Because people
1: kept saying it. People, yeah. like, his friends kept mm. saying it, so I, I thought, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it's really, you know, obviously it's sad, but um it's great he wasn't ill for so long. He would have hated that. It sounds like I know what I'm talking about, but really what I want to say was like, ow, 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 what's happened? I don't understand.
0: Why do people die? <laughs> that's really interesting, the discourse of um, positivity that yeah. has come about. I want mean, kind of as your career as a comedian has come <laughs> across it, kind of looking, <laughs> looking on the bright the side bright almost side. immediately. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. But that's very much like... It, was, it, it sounds like kind of it was bonus.
0: Yeah, bonus yeah. yeah really it was fast. sort of like
1: something to say. I think the thing is when somebody dies young and they've got kids... And the kids are young. Yeah. People just... There's nothing to say. So they, they're trying to find something. And mm. so they're like, well, you know, he would have hated to be an ill. And all these things that they're just trying... Because what no one wants to say is this is... This is what I think when I hear people say that. It's like, this is awful. It will affect those children for the rest of their yes. lives. It's absolutely... And I, I feel like people don't say that enough of like, well, she's 13. She's not a grown-up, but her life has irrevocably changed and yes. she will spent the rest
0: of her life dealing with this.
2: Yeah. <laughs> No-one wants to say that no when you go round.
0: <laughs> um, my best friend's dad, who, amazing bloke, um, his mother died when he was, I think, seven or eight, very suddenly, and he was the person who picked up my mum, my brother, my baby sister and me wow. um, from the hospice, because she drove there and realised she couldn't drive back, oh. not surprisingly. Yeah. Um, and then at the funeral... I mean, God's sake, we had the wake in our house. I mean, how do you. Yeah. How do you. You're meant to be catering. <laughs> um, but I and I was sort of preoccupied by kind of what I was going to wear. And oh, yes. Yeah. And then there was this sort of receiving line as people left. Mm. And he bent down and he said, I wish I could tell you it was, go- it was going to be all right, but it's not. And then he kind of just started to cry. And and that was really helpful.
1: Yeah, it is, isn't it? Because someone's witnessing what you're feeling as opposed to telling you, it's fine, you're going to be okay, you will be strong, which isn't how you feel.
0: I think I wasn't feeling anything at that point. But I think what it did was it just became, when I realised along the way, Mm. as the kind of the changing nature of grief that... This doesn't feel all right. Mm. This actually really still feels completely blown to pieces. Oh no, no, it still doesn't. And that, and even now. So I imagine that Colin, at that point when he bent down in the hall, was um, probably around the age I am now. Yeah, yeah. Um, that he, I now that no, no, it's it's not all right. Mm. It's not all right that this happened, mm. and, and just a kind of confirmation.
1: Yeah. yeah, but again, I'm really glad he said that to you because I think a lot of people would have. Don't don't upset them, don't say anything to the children, just say I'm so sorry and chin up and all of that (laughs) stuff. Chin up. People said it to my mum and I remember thinking, what the fuck does that mean? What does it actually mean? But I think I'm I'm really glad that he yeah, that he spoke to you as I mean it's like an adult, but really it's a fellow griever, isn't it? Of like, yeah, yeah, this is really shit. (laughs) This is shit, girl. Sorry. Mm. I'm real sorry. Like that's it's nice to have that.
2: Welcome back to Griefcast with Carrie Adloyd.
1: So you went to the funeral, and then um, did you? How long did you feel? This is a stupid question, but like, how long did you feel numb for? Can you remember? Can you remember when it started like eking out? (laughs) I don't know whether I.
0: (laughs) Are you still in the numb bit? I still wonder why I I I am. um, I think actually started writing it down. I. So around time of sort of when I was about thirty eight, starting to think about it, that was helpful because I think I did a lot of things to stop. Mm. I mean, you you talk about some of them in the the book because yeah,
1: it's sort of we should say it's it's sort of part memoir and part and a very interesting discussion on Anna Karenina and part about grief and lot. So Mm. it covers a lot of stuff, but yeah, the. The lengths you went to sort of not think about it are definitely <laughs> covered. Yeah. I think seeing
0: my father's body mm. was very helpful for realising this was real. Yeah. So I'm very grateful that that was... That happened. That well, they say a- that now. That is like to... one of the
1: biggest problems is... Yeah. One of the biggest
0: things they say for kids is they should see the body. Yeah. And I think... Well, no, as far as I, I, was, I was allowed to go in alone. Mm. I do think that grief in a family is so distinct. Mm. Everyone is mourning a different person. Certainly I was mourning a different person too. My mother was mourning a husband. I was mourning a father. And that's a completely different thing to Mm. be losing. I think until I acknowledged that I was a child when I lost my father and not an adult. But because I'd been told I was an adult. And I realised that just randomly. I I read something about... um, some, a writer, said something about Wordsworth who said he was a bereaved child and it was written, about Wordsworth, written by a psychologist and they said, and some of the effects of bereavement on children are uh, risk-taking behaviour, mm. promiscuity drugs, alcohol I mean I didn't have a problem with either of those two but I was very risk-taking and I was a very promiscuous teenager mm. and I'd never put those together oh, well. and once I, st- I, then I started to see a narrative that yeah. I hadn't I mean, it could have been. I just kind of maybe I would have been that way anyway. <laughs> and who knows? Who knows? And maybe I'm now trying to kind of put a yeah, kind of an yeah. intriguing psychological spin <laughs> to just the fact that I like to live it up. But I do think I, I, I lived quite strangely in terms of absolutely numbly pouring myself into academic work mm. um, at school. I have all my diaries say, Dear Father God slash daddy. So I basically used to have this strange sort of figure who was. Both, I, I sort of conceived of a another realm because oh. I couldn't quite conceive that he was gone. God. So I had to hold on to this idea that I could talk to him in yeah. the in the sky. And then I just basically said, "I'm going to get an A in this. I'm going to make you proud." And it was all this, I suppose, in the stages of grief that I yeah. was just. And so, and then, and then, I, you can't maybe you can't sustain that sense of being good all the time. And yeah. then I just used to um, go and sort of take extraordinary risks and then come back and be very good at school again.
1: Yeah, I think, and you You know, you say that in the book, I think it's incredible the double life that you started leading of, like, everything at school being I, I wonderful. I definitely did. Like, I wasn't an A-grade student at all. Like, I sort of, I mean, I sort of, I sort of, what's the word, like... Slipstreamed by, I guess, like mm-hmm. because I was okay enough, I would I would never have let my work slip to the point that someone would have had to speak to me. Mm. So I knew to do enough, but it was like the bare what a, what's the bare minimum I have to do mm-hmm. to make sure everyone leaves me alone? So, yeah. So I would have felt if I'd been over like if I'd been getting A's or something, as if you know, I could have done it if I wanted to. No, I couldn't have. But sure. I think um, I would have felt like oh, well that's a tension People might start asking questions like I kind of wanted to slip under the radar so just Mm -hmm. like don't just don't speak to me about it I was just terrified somebody would ask me an actual direct question about it and Mm. then I would break down and I wouldn't be able to stop
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. and then the risk taking is interesting because I think I think my brother might have gone down that road but I really didn't I really didn't I went the complete like. and I read that about child treatment and I always feel like oh why didn't I why didn't I get the fun stuff I didn't get to go partying I got the absolute People can die, so just don't do anything. Okay, don't so do just anything. shut it it's, down. It's not safe. The world is not... And my friends, because, I, you know, I was 15, so mm. my friends started taking drugs, and I never... I was just mm. the person holding their head back and calling their mum, mm. being like, you need to come here, we're here, she's taken this mm. and she's drunk this. Because it was just, like, terrifying to me. I was like, you might die. Why would you... Why would you do you're going to die? <laughs> like, we're all going to die. Stop stop everyone trying to die. Uh-huh. Like
0: It felt like dancing with it. I think I, I felt that... I had to cram in as much experience as possible, which I admire.
1: I really admire that, <laughs> and, and still do. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then I wondered that's that's why I perform as well because yes. I do something that, but that to me doesn't seem risky. It at is all. risky. Yeah, but it, it is risky. You're
0: putting yourself out yeah. there on stage
1: and an improv.
0: I mean, yeah. really, you couldn't. Surely that's the sort of. I
1: think it that's is
0: extreme. That's, well, it's
1: a very safe way if you think about it. It's like it's definitely a way that you're not gonna. You might die. You might be hum- like you might have. a bad gig you might bomb yeah. you might be humiliated but i felt like i wasn't uh, taking something like a chemical drug that could kill me so it's like a way of taking risk in a safe yeah to me feels really safe cause it's like oh the, what's the worst that's gonna happen i have a bad gig like when my friends were taking drugs i was like you the people there's someone in the girl in the paper yeah. took a drug and then she died guys like no one literally physically drops dead at an mm. impro
0: gig <laughs> I, I i know but it is a it is a it's a self-exposure. Yeah, and, I mean, it's like where we began talking about writing as a kind yeah. of element of hedonism risk. I do think it's really, it's it's interesting that yeah. it's, the, the sort of appetite for experience that comes with drama and the staging of it. And and um, I think there's a, a critic who says that people who go on stage are, are dying before our eyes. And it's <laughs> yes. just, you are alive in body and you are vulnerable.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I can see that. But yeah, the the kind of, I suppose I felt like I had to do it with the safety net. Yeah. So, like, with improv, you know, you have the safety net. As I can I can do all these expe- – be have these experiences, but I then walk off and I'm
0: okay. And well, I'd stick with that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I really, really – you're not missing out, honestly. You don't want to do my kind of seedy behind the skipping cotton carbon <laughs> activity. Some of the things
1: – because we're North London girls and you were talking about picking up people on the Northern line, I was like – Who are these men on the Northern Line picking up this teenage girl? I was like, and I used to get the Northern Line as a schoolgirl. And I was like, oh, Sophie, they must have been such grim men, I felt for you. I really did. Because I was like, it's not a nice bit sometimes. That sort of bit, as you come out the tunnel, you get some very salubrious people. Um, But you write about it absolutely beautifully. And I think that's really interesting what you said about, um, that was a big realisation for me, that 15 was young.
0: Okay, so for years,
1: the... I thought it wasn't. I was like, well, was 15. it's 15. Practically 80. Practically 80, it's practically 20. Like, yeah. I just thought, just thought it was quite old. And because at 15, I would have said, you know, I felt like someone, I like, kind of know everything. So that feeds into the, like, yeah, yeah, I've seen life. I get it. Mm. Um, and I don't think it, yeah I think you have to get quite far away from that age and yes. then you like now if I see a 15 year old obviously they look like a child to me but when you're 20 you're like oh they're only five years younger and then you get to 25 and mm. I think as I neared 30 I was like oh I was really young when that happened wasn't I which makes my which allows you to sort of forgive yourself for a lot of stuff because I think I felt guilty for a lot of things and not behaving the right way or reacting Mm. the right way. And so I would sort of push that down. And then the further I got away from 15, the more I was able to have perspective and go, oh, you don't have to feel bad about like not talking to him properly. Like Mm. you
0: were 15. (laughs) Did you feel that you should have been responsible for staging a better conversation yeah 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 i do and then i went through the. i didn't mean to impose what you <laughs> no, should have no. done but i was just thinking about no, no. The, um, the amount of responsibility yeah. i felt uh, yeah,
1: yeah i felt like and then i don't know if you had this i then felt really pissed off that he didn't do it yes no i because i felt well, why okay. am i feeling guilty once you feel oh, once yeah. you realize you're
0: weren't the mm. adult you're like well why was it my fucking responsibility to have a chat yeah no i i struggled for many many years with feeling very angry um with him or let down rather than angry that he didn't uh, have a conversation with me, that he didn't write a letter for every birthday of my future life, (laughs) um, (laughs) that he didn't create a memory box for me. Why did he not do this? Why did he not? And um, uh, I was railing against this because when I was talking to my husband and somehow we sort of in the conversation and being able to talk to him about it. He suggests, he said, I wonder whether it's just because he, he loved you so much, he he was refusing mm, to die. He really yeah. didn't, just because the doctors say it's going to happen, it doesn't mean yeah. that someone believes oh, it's God. going to happen. Yeah, yeah. And I thought that was, and that was <clears throat> a very helpful way. For, it's been a helpful way for me to, to frame it, that yeah. he he was fighting to the absolute mm. last for some sort of um well that would make sense when you have a child the year before
1: yeah that would make sense that you're 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 not you're thinking no I'm I'm gonna be here I'm gonna be here and yeah. I'm gonna carry on making this family and being this, a father of this family I'm not going anywhere um,
0: but I think probably on top of that even though he rationally knew it yeah. um, emotionally he and I think as I now so I'm 43 now Mm. two years younger than he was when he died I can see that he just we're all I'm still a child as well as an adult he couldn't emotionally do it he couldn't generate that conversation and so I have to just sort of put together all the other acts of love and know that yeah he would have and then I look and think would it have made would that box have made it better? Yeah, no. I, I don't know. I don't wonder about those, um, the letters one writes to. And I was thinking, how could he have written to my future self without imprisoning me?
1: Yeah, that's true, actually. I, actually,
0: I wonder kind of, because his wishes for me kind of, what, what he probably would have, he would have said, so if you don't write a brave and exposing <laughs> memoir about yourself, <laughs> yes. or so if you don't do this, or don't, you know, oh, the, maybe his wishes for me would have not been who yeah. I have become, because as you grow with someone, you understand the birthday card that they might yeah. want to receive projecting into your child's future you could get horribly wrong yeah
1: no I think that's really interesting and I have exactly what you have when I see especially nowadays because people are much more aware of leaving memories Mm. and you know I watched Queer Eye the other day and a wife had died Mm. and they were making over the the husband but the wife had like recorded a storybook for the kids and stuff and you know you still get the I I don't have that I don't have his voice and she'd done birthday cards for the birthdays and and, you know, you get that like, oh, in the 80s and 90s, people didn't do those things. <laughs> but then I think you're right that anything he would have written would have been very strange and actually quite... Pray- well, and I'm sure, you know, if if you if you have it, great. Um, if it's helping you, brilliant. Um, but I do know what you mean of like, what, what person are they talking to? Because you'd be talking to a, chi- a, re- a child and you're not that person. And, yeah... It, Imprisoning is an interesting interesting turn of phrase for it. Mm. I mean, you just have to find your way through it, however you do. And I've had the same thing of like, I have lots of conversations that I can make up in my head. Like, as in I can put them all together Mm. and I can know what he kind of would have said. (laughs) And my therapist said this to me the other day, which actually broke me in pieces. Um, I haven't had his voice and you talk about this for years and years about, you know, you lose someone's voice. And yeah. um, you said you found the di- dictator, yeah. which I also found when I was a teenager. Yeah. And it broke me then. And I think that's why I don't know where it is. It got lost and yeah. it's gone. And I think because it's a painful object, nobody's like, hey, don't throw away that dictator with their voice because yeah. like, it's painful. And I feel very sad that I, I can't really remember what he sounded like. And my therapist said to me, she was like, you can't remember what he sounded like, but you have an innate sense of what he would have said. So... The loss is changed into something else mm. in that, yes, you don't have a press play and he's saying, hello, Carrie, I love you. But if you were to say, would he have said you, you love you? You can press play inside and go, yeah, I know he would Ooh have. Oh, God,
0: you got me. I know, I know.
1: <laughs> she got me. She said it to me and I was like, huh? I was like, oh. Yeah. And she was like, you know, losses can evolve and change. And I think. When you, when you lose someone quite young it's quite hard because you freeze in that moment and you try and cling to everything in that moment because to lock it down in your memory somehow and um, I think yeah I found that I found it really comforting because I was like oh I do have an innate sense of what he would have said about all the things I've done like I, I could write that letter I know what he would say and really that's all a parent can do isn't it is like make that love and that bond so strong that when they're not there you can still think Oh, I know what they would have said at this moment, and it would yeah. have been nice.
0: Because listening to you, I was thinking, obviously hugely selfishly, because no. I was listening to <laughs> him, thinking, I, I don't know what he would have said, oh, and then, but then, <laughs> then you said, I love you. I thought, yeah, yeah, I can probably guarantee yeah. he would have said that. I don't know much else. I can't remember anything. No, sadly, I mean, I could. I, I know that if I'd ask him how. A carburetor works he would have told me in <laughs> below by below detail but I don't know kind of emotionally yeah what he would have said but you did that I don't thank know, you yeah, thank I, you for that gift yeah. because I think I can sort of I can project that into yeah. each birthday <laughs> reliably
1: yeah and I feel the same like I don't know what he would have said in detail but I know that he was he was very proud of things he'd be very like oh look at this look what they've done yes. so I know that Like, I have no idea what he would have thought about me doing a very exposing podcast where I talk about him all the time. But I know he would have been, I think he would have been, you know, I know he would have been proud of it. So same thing. I don't have like the detail, but it's that feeling, isn't it? It's that feeling of like, that you were loved, that they loved you. And um, I think it's hard because that's all you've got, isn't it? That's all you've got. Like everything else is so shifting. The memories are so shifting and they, did you have this, like once you've written about stuff, it, it almost
0: goes out your brain into somewhere else I don't know but I was I was caught by what you just said it's all you've got because I mm. non- kind of in some ways among the sort of impetuses for, for writing a book about bereavement was my husband was kind of very curious about my father and said kind of I've mentioned something he said oh have you got that and I go no and then later on he said oh have you still got that I was like, no and then I said I said, to him, I said could you stop asking whether I've got things that belong mm. to my father? Because by very circumstances, to do with yeah, you know, lots I, of house moves, yeah. of things, I don't have anything mm. or very little. So could you stop it, please? Because yeah, it's, it's, it's really, really upsetting. upsetting. Yeah. <laughs> like if, anything I mentioned, I don't have. And then, so I was thinking, and. Um, then I was thinking, well, what does this stuff mean? And it was interesting. Before I came down here, I was thinking about the diary entry. I've got the the diary, which is busy talking about all this sort of teenage kind of piano and shall I shave my legs? And <laughs> um, and then there is a page, and I've written it on eighteenth of September, nineteen eighty eight. He died today. Why? And then that's it. And I thought, I was thinking, I thought maybe I'll bring it. And I was looking through the box, I couldn't find it. <laughs> And I, the thing is, I both what I and I, I do. I'm quite careless. I know it will turn up again. Yeah. and I did find something else of his that I had been looking for. And I thought, why does it matter so much for me? Yeah. All these bits and pieces, and it's almost a sort of proof that it happened. But I thought, Kara's not going to think I made it up. Kind of it my documentary evidence. Yeah, yes, yes, but, yeah. um, but I was just interested in what. Well, what you, you said, what have you got? Mm. And I was wondering the, the interesting relationship between grief and objects and the things we keep and yeah and do they do they make a difference
1: well you write about that really beautifully about loss and how you are someone who loses things almost as in a proof of like well it's just another I lost my dad I lost my keys I lost this and again I think I've gone the other way of like I don't lose stuff
0: you don't lose stuff
1: I I know I am so tight with my stuff like as in like I'm it's (laughs) when you were when you were writing, I understood your point of view but I was like oh I've gone the other way where like everything if if it's not in the place where I put like last left it someone's stolen it like I am so freaking careful with things because I can't bear losing an umbrella like it is too painful so when someone said to me once they were like oh I just you know buy an umbrella every month and I was like (laughs) the umbrella <laughs> but that's your umbrella like why would you why would you? why aren't you fighting to keep the umbrella yeah. like the umbrella becomes my dad like and yes. so i and i've had to get better at losing things because i had a child and my memory got dodgy and you know you get there's more shit around yeah. and you're like oh i don't know what that is now but i find i find any loss of an object so painful so mm. painful so but that's not to say like i have absolutely lost things but it it it's like there's still a list yeah. in my head like I a stark where I'm like, These are the things that have been yeah. taken from me.
0: It's interesting, so I, I do find losing things painful and I'm almost resigned to it and I'm not careless on purpose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just <laughs> no, <laughs> I don't think you but, are. But I I am must I must be subconsciously yeah. very careless on purpose. Yeah. It's almost like I keep have to keep on either I'm just crap <laughs> or I just have to keep on processing this yeah. element of discarding. That's what like, I think it's, it's interesting. Like, stuff You're... doesn't matter. I promise. It doesn't doesn't matter. Doesn't yeah. matter that you lose stuff. It just because if as long as I've got me, that's all yeah. right. But but then occasionally, I mean, people matter. Yeah. But I I think I I still probably try to be quite ambivalent about losing stuff. But otherwise otherwise it's acknowledging that these things I should yeah. have had the all the other ones.
1: And I think it's just to set like the same side of the many-faced coin of like. I have decided I can't be ambivalent about it. It's like my reaction to the death is like, will you hold on to things till your nails are bleeding? Mm. And I would say the way that's affected me, like I am loyal to the point of ridiculousness sometimes. Like I've seen my... I've had to sometimes acknowledge and go, I okay, I'm so i so bad at letting things go. I'm so bad at saying goodbye to people. Like I just can't... <laughs> like even if just like a casual friend pops on for tea, I'm like, and I, they start to go. I start feeling, I'm going to have to say goodbye. I'm going to have to say Like I find... That difficult. So I've gone down that road of mm. like every single loss is painful, mm. and I think what you're doing is very. um And again, of course, it's not carelessness. It's yeah. like self-protection. Yes. it's like it's
0: fine. I don't need it. Whereas I'm like, <gasps> like, <Yes>. don't go. <laughs> like, um, and I think I think it was. I, that's one of the things I was trying to sort of get my head around. And it's sort of difficult to talk about this without saying make it make it sound facile or make, it mm. make myself sound like a really nasty person. Um, so with hedging, I just i i was wondered whether the experience of grief has made me quite hard, yeah, yeah, and yeah. careless with people, yeah, and difficulty forming relationships or keeping people or throwing them. Yeah. and I don't mean that to sound and 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 did this does this sort of knock onto a sort of maternal ambivalence or yeah, a, a yeah. resistance or not? I mean it's 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 much more complicated than that little summary, oh, yeah, but I am yeah, interested yeah. in the hardening effect of grief. Yeah. Um, and I think it's, and I hope it doesn't make me tr- truly heartless because I think quite hard about it, but I think it's, it's in- at least it is interesting and I've, yeah. I enjoyed actually trying to think about it a bit more.
1: Yeah. No, um, I think it's really interesting. I don't think, and I think that's why grief is such a fascinating subject for everybody mm. because the myriad effects of it are so minor and major at exactly mm. the same time that it, it can feel like a lot of clashing notes occasionally yeah. and I've definitely I hardened but in completely different ways so it, it's but I completely understand there's definitely I have no tolerance for people but I won't lose you <laughs> <laughs> but I have no tolerance for you mm. and your bullshit and your faff and your mistake because it's mm. like all I care is that you're you you have not left me and you haven't died <laughs> like, mm. so I, like so, it's like different. Dispar- it's just different, but I completely understand. You're like, well, I don't need you because mm. people die. That's what they do. Whereas I'm like, oh, I need you. You need to stay near me. But I will, yeah, yeah. I, I will be hard to your emotions because emotions might bring up my emotions and make me feel vulnerable. So I think it's just, mm. and I think again, it, it. I'm sure when you're bereaved as an adult, obviously all this stuff does happen. But I think when you're bereaved as a teenager, especially. Lots of little decisions are being made about who you are and what you're going to do and how you're going to react to the world, and then like this smashes in Mm. to what you're trying to think of who you are. And you know, like any trauma, it just ruptures a lot of things. So then, the way you relate to people, the way you feel about the world, all of these things are Mm. deeply, deeply affected. Why would you know, why wouldn't they be? But it takes a long time, I think to kind of look back at yourself and go oh I see that's why I do that like it took me years to work out the goodbye thing I just thought I just wasn't very good at goodbyes just a bit shit at them now I'm like I honestly act like people are like it's the last goodbye like I'm saying goodbye like, I'm looking forward to saying goodbye yeah, okay. no, it's don't... great because I've got
0: quite a lot of spare time yeah, so yeah. we can go down can... It was... I am
1: so bad I keep people for so long because honestly I am acting like this is it this is it so it's always very dramatic um but then, and you're right though, you you then come back round as an early griefer of like, well, is that just bullshit? And is that like, would I have been like that anyway? Mm. But I don't think that's true. I think you can see where the sort of earthquake of grief has ruptured the rocks of you. Yeah. <laughs> Which is one of my worst metaphors.
0: No, that's nice. We'll work <laughs> yeah. it, we'll work it. Yeah. I was um kind of in, similar to <laughs> this terrain, I was uh, at the, I go to have a, an annual check because I've had skin cancer, the same. You've had it as well? Yeah. Oh, I, my goodness. So, I had this, almost the same age he was diagnosed with Wow. skin cancer. I was diagnosed with um, a very early stage melanoma. Um, so, that's why I've got a scar on my arm there. Oh, One yeah, on And yeah. One there. Oh, my God. Um, and so, they, they took care. it out very, very early stage. But um, I really like my scars because they... Are, they kind of I can sort of yeah. remind me of him it's almost like his his loss of life gave me mine because I was much more aware of yeah, it yeah yeah um, but I was at the checkup and I was sitting there and I, in my worried well state I'd left and he said something, he said it's all fine I've checked your moles they're all fine and then I thought, well, maybe I didn't ask him of that one. And then I'll have to go back in, and that would be really embarrassing. And, oh, God, shall I go in? Shall I go? And I thought, I, ha- I won't go in. But now I'm dead. Now I'm dead. <laughs> that's all right. Because, and my usual, sure, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't yeah. matter. And then I thought, oh, God, it fuck, it does matter. Because I've got two little children. Mm. And I thought, it'll be all right. I thought, no, no, it won't be all right. Mm. And I think that's the kind of the, the, the sort of limits of ambivalence about loss hit there was sort of thinking from the other side i just thought yeah, no no that won't yeah. be all right anyway I probably did i do not i didn't, it was it's all right I went for another checkup i'm still all right um but i do yeah i hate I hate going for those checkups because it's course, one of those moments yeah. in life when i think nah if it's if it's not right it I can't, I can't, yeah, can't, can't be square with this one. Well, it's like we say, like, you have the
1: knowledge, like your friend's dad did, of like, yeah. oh, this will affect them for the rest of their lives. <laughs> <laughs> like, you can't be like, and again, and I always say this to people, because I feel like sometimes when you're still banging on about something, you know, 20 years old, mm. um, sometimes I feel like people are like, oh God, like, she, like her dad died and like really fucked her up. And like, mm. it's kind of all she talks about. And you're like, oh no, I, I'm okay. I'm okay. Mm. But that still exists. And both of those things, like we talked about really exist at the same time. Like, it's just a part of it, isn't it? It's just a part of who you are. And I think there are,
0: I don't know whether you agree, but there are gifts.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, I must read this bit. I wanted to read this. Do you want to read it? Um, I'm very happy if you want to read it. <laughs> uh, okay, okay. So it's just, it's quite long. But um, this is the about gaining something, which mm. I thought was really good. The true sadness of grief is mixed up with feelings that you are never sad enough, that you are doing it wrongly, or selfishly, or theatrically. And it's far beneath any arrangements of words on a page. It feels as if someone is scraping a grapefruit spoon on the inside of your stomach. I talk to a friend who is a psychologist. She says that we sometimes try to tell too neat a story about what loss can do. We sit in the bright white of her kitchen and she makes me coffee. She asks some questions and listens. Before I leave, she goes up to her study and brings down a book. Sometimes, she says, the experience of losing a parent can be processed as much as a gain as a loss. Intuitively, that makes no sense. You think that when you have lost something, you would be sad, empty, bereft, hollowed out. Actually, it can be that and something else too. She opens a book to show me. There's a chapter about the way in which utter devastation, particularly that of losing a parent, can lead some people to feel almost elated, like they've survived a bomb. The near miss makes them feel as if nothing can touch them again. Of course, the writer says, losing a parent is not like having a house bombed or being set upon by a crazed mob. It's worse. It's not over in one terrible moment, and the injuries do not heal as quickly as a bruise or a wound. But like a bomb, he writes, parental death can feel like a kind of near miss. It can, for some, give the sense that a bomb has dropped just beside you. The death of a parent can be a kind of gift to a certain sort of child. The fact of survival leaves you feeling tough, exhilarated, hardened by experience. I know this. The worst thing has happened, and we are still standing. I love that, Sophie. I absolutely love that.
0: Sorry to read your book yeah, you. it was really, I, I It's really... Uh, I wrote it to be... To be read. <laughs> uh, to, be, to be read, to, to, to read, to echo, or to speak out to other people. Yeah, yeah. So that's it's a huge honour to hear you read oh, it. Because I felt you got it. But I, I mean, really...
1: When I read that, I was like... I felt like... Um, you know, when someone's saying something like a guilty and you're like, "Yeah, I know that." Yeah. Why you don't? You so for you're telling everyone that we feel good about it sometimes. Yes, <laughs> like I was like, "Oh, <laughs> um, yeah," because and I think I'm a definite testament to that form of survival, and that it,
0: it sort of gives you a weird power and a weird strength. I, I, I do think it's it is very interesting, and it's among. What I wanted to do in this mm. book was to talk about things we hide from other people and among yeah. them it, we hide our grief but we may also hide more taboo things about yeah. grief like its theatricality, yeah. the fact it can be performed in a way that stinks yeah. and it has real bad faith and that there can be ways in which it can give you a strange sort of charge. Mm. I mean partly because, yeah, the worst the worst thing has happened and you've survived it but it's it's peculiar Sophie, thank you so much for coming to me, coming to talk
1: to me about your dad, Andrew, and your wonderful book as well, The Lost Properties of Love. Thank you for having me. Thank
2: you. You can follow Sophie on Twitter at SoRatCli, so S-O-R-A-T-C-L-I, had to think about that. And her book, The Lost Properties of Love, is available to buy now and I cannot recommend it enough. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at The Griefcast. The show was edited by Kate Holland with thanks to Whittledown Studios, and the music is provided by the Glue Ensemble. And remember, you are not alone.